On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Anwar Reddick. He is the Director of Information Security at Greenlight Financial Technology. We're going to have an episode where we're going to talk about build versus buy in the security space. Anwar has a really interesting background, software engineering development experience, and he has a slightly different perspective on build versus buy, and I'm excited to have him on to talk to us about that. Anwar, thanks for being on. Mayor, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I guess let's start at the top. Uh, let the listeners know, you know what your responsibilities there look like at Greenlight, and also what does Greenlight do? Sure. So yeah, Greenlight is a family fintech company on a mission to help parents raise financially smart kids. And so we build technology products that are a comprehensive all-in-one money management platform that is purpose-built for families that offer a full suite of financial services across earnings, savings, spending, giving, and investing. And I know that was a a mouthful, but we basically have a a parent-managed debit card accompanied with Android and iOS mobile apps. Those apps are, are backed by our backend services that we host. And those apps include educational resources and money management tools that parents use to raise financially smart kids. Awesome. It sounds like, uh, you know, when I was kind of looking at your background at what Greenlight does, I mean, that could be a whole episode in terms of uh, the complexities of, of security just uh, within the context of what you guys do. And maybe we'll have you back on and do a part two at some point. But I think, you know, really curious in terms of your responsibilities day-to-day in the context of security, kind of give us the high level of what you're responsible for when it comes to that area. Sure. So, I mean, it's pretty broad. I've managed the security program and the security team, which is growing. It encompasses protecting the product, protecting our digital interests, security audits from external auditors for compliance purposes and regulatory purposes, as well as threat detection and incident response. Awesome. Yeah, you've had a pretty unique trajectory. You know, you have a fair amount of software engineering in your background, and um, you've moved into the security space. So you have a, a slightly different vantage point. And I think, you know, what was interesting about the topic I had talking to you was, you know, building versus buying. Obviously, there's a you know concerted shift left within security, which we can also talk about from your perspective. But when you're approaching, you know, build versus buy, just at the high level. Maybe you can kind of share what your perspective is and you know, what are some of the you know, signals for when you'd consider... Actually, well, do you tend to build versus buy when you're evaluating things? That could be actually the best first question. So I have a computer science background and I started in the industry as a software engineer and I have held on to my software engineering and computer science roots throughout my career. So I love building things. It's just part of who I am, what I like to do. So I, I'm probably biased towards, I get excited when I think about <laughs> building tools to solve problems. But, you know, we have to be practical and conscientious of our resources that we have to bear because whatever you build or buy, you have to maintain. That's a consideration. And so I, I try to just have those conversations with people who probably tend to lean towards more towards the buy. That helps, you know, balance me when I'm, thinking through a bill versus buy decision. Absolutely. So when you're, I guess, when you're uh, you know, going through and evaluating a solution and you're looking at the different perspectives, obviously resourcing is always tight for everyone. When you're looking at the cost, potential you know, capabilities that you could develop, and again, we're not talking, I don't think you're going to be going to build 
you know, massive applications. We're talking about tools that are probably relevant to what Greenlight does. Is there a tipping point on ROI where, you know, you kind of try to evaluate, you know, the cost of developing it, long-term maintenance if you buy, even versus you build? How do you establish something like that? So a couple of things that I think about are the speed to get value out of the tooling. And I have these conversations about what would be truly ideal. And a lot of times what is truly ideal is just not practical in the short term. And so what's the shortest path to start getting value and leveling up? And if you know we can write some scripts or and you know build versus buy, you know, you can kind of think of it as a as a spectrum because there's a, a range of types of tooling out there. There's open source libraries, open source products and full-blown you know, enterprise commercial off-the-shelf products. And so all of those are a consideration. And I try to think about, okay, what's the fastest way to level up significantly to a point that we can sustain and consider that cost and then and provide a, a place from which we can further grow. So I guess when you're looking at, you know, obviously you mentioned one of the components to build versus buy is speed to get value out of the tooling. When you're trying to establish that value, that ratio, what goes into defining that? So, yeah, it's the, the skills we have on the team as well as the support. And so a lot of the teams that I've been on in security, it's been very important and fruitful to partner with the DevOps teams and the cloud infrastructure teams because they have a lot of infrastructure already in place. And if we can leverage that, you know, almost like cloning what we do in a production or a dev environment and clone that into like a, a security environment space, you know, that we dedicate for security tooling, that might make that build decision easier because we won't have to start from scratch with the tooling just to flesh out the hosting infrastructure. You know, the, the companies that I've worked for my, most recently have been you know, small SaaS firms who are 100% in the cloud and fully cloud native. And so you know, we don't host our own data centers. You know, we use AWS now, but you, know, you can't just jump into AWS and then have a ready-to-go infrastructure. You need to have tooling around deploying things into AWS and tooling around the health of those tools to monitor the, the uptime and the health and, and be able to respond when, when there's an outage because inevitably, you know, things break and services go down, just like in production. And so I don't want to be stuck in a position where if we build our own tool and deploy it and then it breaks and we were hoping to rely on it for security purposes and now it's broken and then it's, we don't want a long cycle of getting it back up. So where we can borrow and partner with our friends over in DevOps, SRE, cloud infrastructure, which I feel like, you know, we have, we have a really good relationship with those teams now at Greenlight. I try to lean on those as much as possible. That makes it easier to make that build decision. But where, I guess, one, one reason to buy tooling is just, you know, if you can find a tool that you know, pretty much complete coverage for a pretty big pain point, then, yeah, why reinvent the wheel? Some of the other things I look at is certain tools, certain large like enterprise tools tend to kind of rope you as the, the buyer or the user into their way of operating, like at a business process level. 
And you have to use their reporting tools, their dashboards, their workflows, their UIs. And I hesitate to buy tools that do that because I found it painful when I have, okay, if I want to do vulnerability scanning, I, I go to one set of tools and it's just disjoint from, you know, threat monitoring or threat hunting. And that's something else I consider is how easy is it, or practical is it to stitch and weave that tool into our business processes that we, and, and we control the business process and we dictate what that tool is going to provide value for and how it fits in with how we want to operate. Yeah, that's interesting. Because obviously, you know, having the tools fit in, you know, the shift left, you know, trying to incorporate security further into the process versus at the tail end does require different perspective, different tooling. You mentioned your partnership with the DevOps SRE teams. I guess when you're looking at that relationship and obviously you have a software engineering background, you know, are there initiatives right now at Greenlight that you're focused on kind of helping that shift or are you guys still potentially, you know, a little bit separate in terms of, you know, the engineering involvement? We are shifting further left. And I think our various teams and security is within the engineering team at Greenlight and that helps the partnerships as well. But, you know, security, you're, the job's never done, right? You can never achieve perfection. So there's always more to do. We can always do a better job. So, but where we started is we, we did start with a, you know, somewhat of a separation of, okay, security, we stood up tools to do basic scanning of our code and our application and our environments. And we defined the format, the workflow, the interface for presenting those results. And we left ourselves room to tweak those results because a lot of scanning tools, and by the way, we started with some basic tools such as NPM audit, and then we built a lot of scripting around that. So that's an example of like building a workflow. We built a scripting around these scanning tools that kind of ingested the data, massaged the data. We left ourselves room to deal with false positives, to make adjustments based on the uh, criticality of the particular asset that was that was being scanned, and we designed the, I want to say, I guess the uh, inter-team interface for how to present those findings to the development teams and what the expectations are with responding to those findings in terms of, you know, for a critical, you know, let's get that done quickly. And then for a high, you know, you have more time to, you know, we stack rank those and focus first on the criticals and then the highs. So we have that critical high, medium, low priority and ranking. And we have a process and interface for interfacing with, with presenting that data and allowing those teams to respond. Because even though we try to weed out false positives, when we were first getting started and I was new at Greenlight, you know, when you're new, you have to learn the environment. So we didn't always know exactly what was false positive and what was not. So that, that fostered those conversations. And then that helps the security team learn and we can tune our tools better so that we are presenting more and more accurate data over time. Interesting. I guess just a question, when you're looking at, obviously, you know, when you're buying something that you're expecting the vendor to bring that expertise in-house, give you capabilities, sometimes that speed, you know, they're going to, you know, they're hopefully an expert in solving whatever pain point you're looking to accommodate or solve. When you're looking to potentially build it from scratch, and, you know, you mentioned, you know, a couple of examples of things that you guys started building. How much of that is, hey, you know, we know this, we got to go just build it, or, hey, we need to actually 
set up a sprint or two to actually figure out, you know, get our arms around the problem and really understand it to see if we're biting off more than we can chew. Yeah, absolutely. We try to be realistic about what we can achieve if we are going to script or build something. And, you know, we have a healthy dose of, well, I do. I have a healthy dose of skepticism when, if it's going to be bringing in a vendor to do custom work, I think there's a lot of due diligence has to go into that. And I take that time into account as well. That's why it's easier to make a decision on a small tool that we can, you know, get maybe open source or we can purchase that has a very clear goal in life and it has very clear and it has programmatic parameters around how to use it and how to integrate it into our ecosystem. So if we find those tools, that's it's easier to, to bring those in because you know it's easier to reason about how that will fit in. Where we talk about, you know, like managed services or large tooling that, you know, if a vendor maybe is, wants to sell professional services, to me, I look at that as like, okay, that means that it's going to take a lot of work to configure, to tune. We might not be able to do it on our own in a timely manner. And so at least, especially early on, avoided going down that route. But, you know, as we get some wins under our belt, you know, we start small and we grow the program out. We certainly do talk to vendors and, and try to maintain relationships and to be ready to understand when is a good time to maybe pull the trigger on a larger vendor. Interesting. Yeah, I guess from that perspective, I mean, you have a software engineering background and if you're going to bring in a vendor to actually you know, write the code for you, I guess in your mind, you're going to start looking at the time and effort it's going to take for you or your team to go ahead and get something similarly done. Are you in a point in kind of the, the maturity of your security program where you know, you would need to bring you know, in hires to actually add that capability? Or you know, is it one of those things that you enjoyed so much where you'll roll up your sleeves yourself and you know, tackle it if necessary? So I have certainly rolled up my sleeves, especially <laughs> in the beginning where it was just me. But you know, the team is certainly growing. We have three excellent team members now, and we have you know, open job requisitions now. And, but one thing I look for in candidates, it's, that's a bonus, is the willingness to roll up your sleeves and write some code. And with the awareness of, you know, there, there is writing some scripts just to pull data together for a point project versus writing a tool that we're going to lean on for months to a year. And then in that ability that there's, there's lots of different takes and opinions on this. I've talked with really good security professionals who don't like to, you know, write code and then throw it away a few months later, right? It feels like a waste. But for me, I'm willing to do that if I can, you know, put bounds on how long it's going to take me to write that code. But right now, we are growing the team and we have, I think, a good healthy mix of tendencies and backgrounds and, you know, the tendencies of leaning towards build first versus buy first. And so, and we have that discussion in the team a lot. And it's, I think it's really helpful to have, have diverse opinions so that if we all think the same way, then we could fall into that trap of, all right, we got to build everything. And then we don't have anybody to kind of give us a gut check of making us realize why that is not a great idea. And yeah, we haven't done much of bringing external to do things like write code or build tools for us or do like heavy configuration for us. That makes sense. 
you have a super unique perspective as well. And I was going to ask you, and I think, you know, I was just thinking while you were talking, this, this could be a good thing for people listening that, you know, let's say you're a software engineer, you're, you're not inside the security space and you're looking to make a, a transition into security. You've always had an eye on it. You obviously have made that transition fully. When you were looking back on your career, obviously having a CS degree can be an advantage. I mean, I, I don't think there's a specific background you need to be in security. I think everyone you know, can bring their strengths to the table. But for you personally, when you made the transition, was it just you know an accident? Did you plan on it? And just kind of curious about that. Oh, no, I did not plan on it. So I had the opportunity, my first job out of college, they allowed us to enroll in school simultaneously while we continued working. So I was employed at Georgia Tech, and that was just the benefit of being an employee. It was easy to go back to grad school at Georgia Tech. And I you know, I got accepted to do a master's in computer science. And you know, the day of orientation, I'm walking in the building and I see a sign that, oh, they have an orientation for the security program. And I felt, well, you know, I got my undergrad at NCS at Tech. I'm very familiar. have some connections. I've been working at the Research Institute. And so I said, let me go check out this security thing. Because, you know, it's, I hear it in the news that's, you know, buzzing. And it's, a, it's a hot industry. So I, I attended orientation and then I got sold at that point. And I came out of that, went back to my uh, employer. And I just started to uh, convince my employer to, to let me do actual security work for my day-to-day job, which was really helpful as well. And so I've had some success with partitioning some of my job duties to focus on security work. And it just ramped up as I got more further through the degree program. It took me a few years because I was going part-time. But then when it became clear that I was getting ready to graduate and then I was able to transition into a a security role fully. And security is so broad. So I was doing applied research and development. And those contracts were mostly from the federal government. And so it... My area of research was secure information exchange, federated identity. We've did a lot of work for profiling the SAML specification to allow disparate organizations that had similar missions in, in law enforcement to connect systems together. So we have an officer in one state law enforcement agency that wants to pull information from another state's information systems. So how do you enable that? How do you enable that officer to reuse their identity and their credentials so that that officer doesn't have to have a prior individual relationship with this, some external state's resources to access that data? And so that, that was the context of a lot of the applied research and development that I was a part of. And also dealt, got into access control frameworks and privacy frameworks and well, I had the opportunity and I took advantage of it through write code that demonstrated the outputs of the research, which I always enjoyed. What I took away from that experience was, you know, at, at tech and computer science, you get a really strong foundational education. And I got to exercise that and put it into practice, but it was still in a, you know, a nice R&D environment. I was not on the operational security team at that point, but when I left that job, I went into, you know, operations of actually defending the company's assets. And so, but I, I've carried the foundational experience and knowledge that I've gained at, at tech with me. Very cool. Definitely an interesting trajectory. And uh, 
I think a lot of people always, uh, you know, think I'd like to potentially get into, you know, security and it's a complex area to some and, you know, where you start is always uh, the question. I think you have an interesting story. Hopefully people can reach out to you and kind of uh, pick your brain in your journey and and maybe they can, uh, you know, help uh, change their trajectory. But I was going to say, I'm cognizant of the time and, you know, thank you and appreciate your time for being on and sharing with us. Hopefully, uh, We'll get some people uh, interested in this build versus buy because I think your perspective from a software engineer is really interesting. And obviously, the trajectory your career has taken is also of note. So thanks for sharing. Absolutely. I enjoyed this. Thanks for being a, a gracious host. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'll include your LinkedIn on the show notes. I'm sure somebody will want to reach out to you to pick your brain on uh, some of these topics. And that's it for this episode. And, and we'll be back again with a different guest, different set of topics. Uh, always ask for two things. One. If you find the podcast helpful, share it with somebody else that might be interested in it. That's how the podcast has been growing and it's been fantastic. And if there is a topic that you want me to find a guest for, just drop me a line on LinkedIn and happy to go look for a guest that could talk about what you want to hear. Until next time, thanks. 